two, one. Welcome in Husker Extra podcast. I'm Parker. There's Steve. There's a new father in our ranks, not in our midst right at the moment. That's Chris Baznet. He'll be joining us shortly after some sort of dad duty that cropped up as that as those things tend to happen when you have a newborn child. Yeah. I wouldn't know from personal experience. But. Yeah, if I'm a new dad, it's totally by accident. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> All right, we're off to a great start. <laughs> um, let's um, – Let's um, let's talk about Frost. How about that? Frost. You mean Scott Frost, the head football coach at the University of Nebraska? Yes, that that one. Yeah, it was sort of interesting. We had a long chat with him today, about an hour. How long? Uh, my recording was fifty six minutes. I think that's a good number. That's a good number. Um, oh, hey, look, Dad's here. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Look at Palmer. <laughs> don't use the Lord's name in vain with the newborn child. Palmer, don't be scared. Don't be scared. He's you got to get used to this. He's you got to get used to this, little fella. <laughs> Hi, little fella. <laughs> How are you? He just you? had a bath, so it's, it's, we're, we're a little emotional right now. Yeah. He's fine. He looks beautiful. He's doing great. Palmer. It's nice to meet you. It is nice to meet you, Palmer. I wish I could shake your hand. (laughs) Someday. You've got more hair than dad already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's looking way better than me. What color is that hair, Palmer? It's kind of reddish brown. You got reddish brown hair. Yeah. Depending on the white. It looks very red on the camera, it looks like. Have you scoped out the neighborhoods? Yeah. Palmer, have you scoped out the neighborhood? (laughs) Got on one walk so far. Okay. Most of it. You can so. tell he's warming up to this whole thing pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, hi. What do you think yeah. of those guys? Uh-huh. Yeah, scary, I know. We talked about Scott Frost for 15 seconds before we were completely ah. late into talking about Palmer. Sorry. Yeah. He, he's pretty Oh, no, no. It's well, it's well worth it. Yeah. That's yeah, nice Palmer, to meet What do you Palmer. think of Scott Frost? You like his decision to keep 10 full-time assistants? <laughs> That's kind of my reaction too, I think, probably. <laughs> you can tell that Palmer is just – he's just taking in the world with a sense of wonder. He really he really does have a sense of wonder about everything. Just like his uncle Steve would want him to. Yeah. Steve. Always try to, try to proceed with a sense of wonder. You hear that, Palmer? That's Uncle Steve talking. Try. It's not always going to be easy. Sometimes you're just going to be thoroughly bored with everything. Look, when you get to be your father's age, you'll just be beaten down by the world. And it doesn't <laughs> matter anymore. But for now, we can approach with a sense of wonder. Can't we? Yeah. Yes, you have to work at it sometimes. You got to work at it a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> That's for sure. If you need help, in. Palmer, I'm always here. <laughs> this can be like your weekly therapy sessions. Yeah. Weekly therapy with Uncle Steve. Wonder what Palmer's got. What's he got on tap this weekend? Uh, we're going to watch a little Husker volleyball tonight. We're going to introduce nice. him to Husker volleyball at 630. Um, nice. We'll probably watch his dad write a uh, baseball story, which we can talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, okay. Discussing the, discussing the schedule, the potential schedule, and how Nebraska's approaching that. We'll be sure to be checking out HuskerExtra.com for all the coverage from uh, your guys' little 
powwow with Scott Frost today and everything that came out of that. So he's got a big weekend ahead of him. Yeah. Did you tell Palmer you're going to get pretty busy here coming up? Yeah, Palmer. I'll be, I'm going to be gone a lot. You're going to have to hang out with mom. I got to cover a lot of basketball here pretty soon. A couple more weeks. We'll be at it. Yeah, February 3rd. Are we talking basketball now? Is that what we're doing? Well, how do you want to structure this? You guys have a say in this, Palmer, Chris. Palmer, Palmer, how would you like to structure it? You just want a <laughs> bottle, don't you? That's all you're worried about. He looked, he's really, you know what? You can tell his comfort level has increased dramatically. He's very, start. he's really kind of melting into my arms right now. Yes, kind he's, of, <laughs> he's at ease now. He is he's at ease. ease. He was a little nervous at the beginning, kind of like yeah. all of us. Yeah, yeah, he looked at, yeah, he looked at Parker like, what, what is that bean? <laughs> I think it feels a, like I think like you and I said, it feels a certain level of comfort when Parker's involved. Um, there's a certain level of maturity I think that that yeah. emanates. <laughs> I said, is that what that is? Is that what that is? Yeah, I think that's what that is. Hi, hi. People are going to love this podcast. Just me, baby, talking. <laughs> yeah, especially the people that don't watch the video. Yeah, especially people that don't watch the okay, video. Okay, Baz is holding his newborn son. Yeah, 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 this picked up on son, that, Palmer, yeah. Everybody, he'll be a month old on Monday. So, oh, happy done. birthday! Yeah, it's going hey. fast. Yeah, he he's played in really as many fun. basketball games as the basketball team has since he was born. I think <laughs> so maybe one less. But well, yeah. Oh. I mean, don't let me distract you guys from Scott Frost. Please continue with what you were doing. Well, Parker, where do you want to start? I guess the news. The news. The that came out of it was um, as, as Baz sort of mentioned there that they're not Frost doesn't have any plans to make any changes to his 10 man uh, assistant coaching staff. Um, yes. That's been bandied about some, especially since Jonathan Rutledge, a senior special teams analyst um, his, his departure, which I think was pretty much, they knew that that was going to happen not long after the season ended, but it was formalized last week. And so um, <clears throat> that, that position is open and that led to some speculation about how they go about filling that. If you would demote a full-time coach and hire a, a full-time special teams coach, if you, you could do a lot of different things, right? I mean, you could give the on-field special teams to one of your current assistants and shuffle duties around. They're not doing that either. They're not doing that either. What it sounds like is that Frost likes his coaching staff the way it is essentially. And they're going to hire a special teams analyst again. And Frost was adamant today um, that, that you can see a dramatic improvement in special teams with another analyst, even though that setup didn't really work this past year. So that was interesting. And, and we can sort of get into that a little bit more. Um, Frost, they have one-year extensions for everybody on the staff, which has been the standard um, that guys have sort of rolling two years on their contracts. Um, Frost said no raises on the staff that the guys feel like they need to earn it before, um, you know, they allocate more money uh, to the group. But I thought that was interesting. The quarterback conversation is interesting. Uh, we can get into that a little bit. Um, again, Frost, you know, Frost adamant that um, – that Luke McCaffrey has a future at Nebraska at quarterback. If he wants it, um, he wants him to compete for the job this fall. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we spent a little bit of time sort of doing the retrospective, a little bit of time sort of piecemealing together what changes there might be, you know, they're hiring a, a, a director of player development, which is an off field role. 
Um, they're going to hire it's me. They're hiring me. Analyst. What, oh, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Big news. Breaking news on the podcast. Okay. Breaking news. So, <laughs> so anyways, it's like, it's like, it's clearly not a static off season um, underway, but it also isn't the sort of seismic change that maybe some people thought was coming. So I just sort of, th- well, I mean, what did you make of it simple? Like what, what, where did you, where do you think Scott and the program? Well, it was, I thought it was really revealing on some counts, like for instance, the revelation that he shared play calling duties with. Yeah. Matt yes. Lubick. I mean, that was a revelation. Yeah. I, I, I would, and he, in the fact that he talked about it at length um, and said that he intends to, they intend to use that setup going forward is interesting. Um, if only because you hear, you know, you always hear this stuff about the staff, you know, you hear, I guess you just call them rumors that it's not, I mean, think about Parker based on what we hear sometimes that it wasn't working well on offense, maybe, and here's Frost telling us, yeah, it worked so well that I trusted him to call plays. Right. So I could concentrate on other matters. But Frost explained, you wrote about it. So Frost explained why he did it that way. Why did he do it that way? Yeah, it's very interesting. So I, I there was this moment, and I think I said something to you in the press box about it, Sipple. When we were at Rutgers, um, that's why it, it always helps to be at the games too, even in an odd year like this. There was a moment in the, I think in the second quarter of that Rutgers game where Frost called the entire offense together on the sideline. Right. And he really got after it. I mean, he was, he, he, he let it rip pretty good on the sideline. And I was trying to think about, I couldn't quite put my finger on it in, in the moment. Um, but I was trying to think about why that scene was so striking to me. It's not like football coaches don't yell on the sideline during games. And today, as I was writing about the play calling the sharing of that arrangement late in the season and going forward, it dawned on me that I think the reason why it caught my attention sort of so acutely when we were at Rutgers, because you just don't, you've never really seen that before. You didn't. No, you didn't. I think the reason why you don't see it is because they're very positionally grouped during games. And Frost is always looking at his play sheet during games. But I think as the season went along and he gave more of the play calling duties to Matt Lubick, he sort of has a little bit more freedom to, um, you know, roam the sideline or get guys together or talk to people. And again, I mean, it wasn't perfect, obviously. Like the Illinois game was in the second half of the season. They played really bad. Or the Minnesota game was in the second half of the season. They played bad. You know, like it wasn't a it wasn't like they started sharing play calling duties and it all got better right away but I just I find it very interesting that this is sort of an endeavor that Frost is going to continue as long as he's got Matt Lubick with him who he really trusts and that's that's the real reason why um, he felt good about doing this is because he really trusts Matt Lubick and Specific. so hey one one question before you go forward Parker yeah. yes um, I, what what are the when did this exactly start happening he said the last four games, but four games, really, right. I mean, I think really the last two weeks um, or three weeks, Purdue, Minnesota, Rutgers, um, I think it really took off. I mean, he said it was about 50-50. But it's interesting when you really carefully read what Scott, you listen to what Scott told us today. I mean, he said that the, arra- the setup was basically that he was going to let Matt Lubick run with the play calling, 
but he had the veto power. So if he wanted something specific called or he didn't agree with what was being called, um, he could jump in and, and sort of override and, and, and take over the play calling for a little bit. But he said, you know, the plan is to let Matt run with it, which, I mean, that essentially means that Matt Lubick is the primary play caller. That is a, I mean, that is what you call a revelation. Yeah. Yeah. That is. So it's, it's very That's interesting. What a revelation. <laughs> well, there's one. And, there's, and that, there's that's, one. that's really interesting. I mean, that is the, that's Scott Frost evolving, right? Yeah. 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 I think so. And so it obviously wasn't a cure-all. I mean, that they racked up a ton of yards. They should have scored a lot more than 28 points against Rutgers. Turnovers killed them. Uh, turnovers, you know, hurt them in other games, obviously, too. Um, but when you look at the points and yards that they put up in two of those last three games, Purdue and Rutgers, certainly not the two stingiest defenses they face. So I don't want to say, like, the thing I don't want to do is I don't want to sit here and sound like, this is the magic cure, right? I mean, it's not. They have to get a lot better on offense in a lot of ways going forward. But I just think it's interesting that this is the moment, you know, Frost, midway through his third year, um, pulls the trigger on this and, and says, like, I trust Matt enough. Like, play callers, they don't do this kind of thing easily. Um, no. They don't – there was someone – oh, I know what it was. I was um, – I was – Reading, okay, so last week in the – I know I use these guys as an example a lot, but in the NFL playoffs last week, the Rams and the Packers played, and the Rams coach Sean McVay and the Packers coach Matt LaFleur coached together, came up together in the sort of Shanahan tree. And they were talking at some point, both of them were asked about it, like Sean McVay tried to let Matt, Lug- or, uh, Matt LaFleur call plays for a preseason game, a one preseason game, the last preseason game of a year. And he like literally couldn't do it. He made it like one series before he started interjecting. And that's because those, that's how those guys are wired. Like if it's your team and you call plays, it's really hard to give that up. And so I thought it was very interesting. I asked Scott about that today and he said it was refreshing. That was the word he used. It was actually refreshing um, to give some of that to, to Matt Lubick and to have a little bit more freedom to roam on the, the sideline. And so, I just Listen, thought, okay. I always say it. You know what? And I didn't interject when we were talking to Frost, but I've said it for a long time. If I were an AD, I would not hire – I would watch a, a coach, and if he was buried in his play sheet, he's not going to be my head coach because that's not a head coach. I mean, if, if you're just buried in your play sheet all game, then you maybe you're the head coach during the week, but you're not the head coach when it matters. I'm sure Frost doesn't want to hear me say that, but I've but I've long thought it. Um, I thought Bill Callahan was a good head coach, but I think he would have been a lot better if he didn't if he wasn't always staring at that plastic, you know, um, whatever that, those things they cover them with. Laminate, um, laminate, laminate. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, I I like what he's doing, and I think at twelve and twenty it makes more sense to pay attention to what's going on on his sideline. Um, now you can also come back and say simple. Their offense was, was 101st nationally in scoring. He needs to put more attention on his offense. So, yeah, I mean, I get, yeah, you could come back with that. Well, one thing I think, that, go ahead, go ahead. Well, one thing that's interesting in that regard is that he sort of, I mean, he didn't 
break down for us what he thinks every hour or how every hour of his week is going to be allocated. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was he talked about being a little bit more involved in special teams, although I think you'll still see, like if I had to prognosticate at this point, if they hire an analyst again, as they did last year, I think you'll see someone on the staff, but probably not Frost, sort of designated to be the staff liaison, you know, and, and, and he mentioned a couple of guys today that would be good candidates for that, including Mike Dawson, who he said, you know, can be and needs to be a real asset for them in special teams. Um, but one of the things I thought was very interesting was he simultaneously lauded the work that Mario Verdusco does in preparing the quarterbacks and getting them ready to play and having an understanding of what they're doing. And then he simultaneously said that he's planning on having a more hands-on role uh, with Adrian Martinez and the quarterback room over the course of like game weeks and over the course of the off season than he has over his first three years, which I thought was sort of another interesting um, wrinkle in sort of how Scott sees his role as the head coach. Get all that, Baz? Every, every word of it. I can repeat it back to you ad nauseum. I'm not going to do that because I think that would be a waste of time, but rest assured that I got all of that. Yeah. We're talking football on January 22nd. The way it goes. Um, it's the yeah. way it goes. When there ain't basketball to talk about, you talk about football, right? Yeah. So yeah, Frost did clear up some things. Um, I, I mean, the, the fact he's standing pat with his staff is, is certainly interesting to me and a little unexpected. Um, I mean, given the fact they're three and five and, I wanted to ask you that, Sip. How surprised were you to hear him say that? A little surprised. A little surprised. I mean, not totally because it's not like I don't talk to people as part of my job, but uh, I thought there might be a change on offense or someone. And, you know, it, sometimes it's someone leaving, too. Yeah. Um, that could still happen, too, right? I mean, there's yeah, I could. things yeah. out there. Like, it's not like – it's not impossible that someone finds an opportunity they like and, and, they, and they jet. I mean, that – you know, sure. Mike Dawson did that in late January, two years ago. So it's not, that's not out of the, I think like if people, if someone leaves, they leave, you know, it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's no different than a player leaving or a player going into the portal. Like it happens a lot. It wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be an unusual development. What did you, Sybil, what did you make of Frost saying that they anticipated and accounted for the possibility that Wondell Robinson was going to leave? I just, I, I didn't read into it too much beyond what he, what he said right there, that it was, I think it was something that had been discussed in the Wandale Robinson camp that Scott was probably privy to um, his, his uh, whole take on that is good in my opinion, from a leadership standpoint, because he doesn't like we, we characterized it as a, blow to the midsection of the program he doesn't he doesn't talk like that he said in fact he said in some ways it'll allow us to be more who we want to be on offense which was now he didn't get into that he he didn't want to go into that but um I guess the transition was they have recruited a bunch of bigger receivers we can get Um, into that they're gonna yeah we can get yeah, yeah, go ahead, Parker. Yeah, I mean, like you, just like you said, I mean, that that they're, they're going to be a lot bigger in the skill position than they were last year. And I don't like 
I think one thing that I've noticed since I've been here is that there's been several times where we, me, I, you, anybody, I think I've definitely in my mind undersold a couple times what it would take to replace guys. So I don't want to do that. Right. Nope. Like I, I thought that they would, I thought that Divina Zigbo was a, a really good player and he turned into a really good back. And I thought that they'd be able to replace that production without too much of an issue. And I thought Stanley Morgan was a really good receiver. And I thought that they'd be able to find a guy to fill that role. Maybe not exact number for number, but for the most part, and they've, they've really struggled um, to do that. There's guys. So I don't want to sit here and, and, and then JD Spielman, right? I mean, you can say what you want. Maybe that was mutually beneficial. Maybe it wasn't, but they struggled to replace a production that JD gave when he was here. Um, now, you know, it's more the production that goes into whether you're a net positive for anybody, but they couldn't, that was a, that was a tough fill this year. So I don't want to sit here and say like, oh, well, it's no problem because they got bigger receivers. So oh no. Don't worry yeah. about it. Because yeah. Lundell's a tough guy and he, and, he, and he produced a lot and all that. But I think you're right that they are happy about the fact that, you know, when you look at some of the guys, everyone talks about the duck R's and all of that, that have, have thrived, the little guys that have thrived in this offense. But you know who else has thrived in, in this offense is a guy like Traquan Smith at UCF, who you see, you know, playing for the Saints now, a big physical receiver. Um, those kind of guys make a world of difference just in your, what you can do offensively. Um, and they, they could really use Xavier Betts having a big jump to his second year. And they could really use Omar Manning being back in the fold. They could really use Samari Ture and all that experience he has at the college level, even though it was at Montana, you know, and if those three guys plus Oliver Martin and Levi Falk are both, you know, six, one and six, two, They've got the bones of a real Big Ten group um, at wide yeah. receiver. He, he addressed specifics on why they've recruited bigger receivers because they haven't had a vertical threat. So they like a vertical threat that can go up, a vertical threat that can go up over a corner and beat him on a 50-50 ball. There, he even said, and I, I mean, I think we have said this in the press box, it's easier to see six foot two guys running crossing routes. Yeah. All right. Um, and then the, there's the perimeter blocking element to it. They're, they're, you know, bigger bodied receivers are naturally going to probably be more effective blockers in a lot of cases. Yeah. Again, I, I, I totally agree with Parker's sentiment though. Wandale Robinson is a tough dude. And you know, you guys watch the games and how many times do we sit in those press boxes Going, man, I mean, just cringe at some of the hits he'd take. Cringe, but he always get up. He'd He'd always always get up. up. Yeah. 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 I mean, he'd always get up. He always held on to the ball. I mean, most of the time. I think he fumbled once this year as a running back, but, you know, he he didn't, he was very, very, very reliable. I mean, he was always there. You know, he missed some games last year, three, two, two plus, because, because he puts his body out there, but you never had to worry about Wandale, Rob. But when the going got tough and they needed when they needed a guy in that comeback against Illinois in uh, 2019, mm. you know, they yeah. put it on his shoulders. It was the man. He put it on his shoulders. He, yeah, put, he put it, it on, on his shoulders. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he asked for it. So I, I, I agree with you, Sipple. Like, I think it's a I think it's a noble endeavor to say that they think that they're going to be better at receiver. And I, I actually like I buy that. I, I think that they can be. Um, 
And I think that in a lot of ways, I think the quarterbacks are going to appreciate throwing to Samari Ture and Xavier Betts and, and Omar Manning if he's, you know, if he's if he's healthy and, and able to go and give him a lot of snaps. So, so, yeah, I think that both things can be true at the same time. It's going to be tough to Baz, replace the production, and they like what they have at receiver. Baz is wondering right now what he said about Omar Manning. He talked very casually about Omar Manning being part of the team today. Mm-hmm. It was not – there was no really he didn't he didn't leave it open to interpretation he just said omar's with us yeah. you know we we hope he's i mean it didn't sound like it's much of a question that he'll be practicing with him um or p- participating in winter conditioning and then practicing with him in the spring remember 10 years ago when omar manning signed with nebraska <laughs> oh, no that only feels like 10 years i'm sorry i know that i know, you know parker doesn't even like to talk about it at this point do you know uh, that the actually, interestingly enough, Omar Manning signed with Nebraska the day at the day or within one day of when Nebraska volleyball played their last game. Oh, and there you go. Nebraska volleyball is taking the court right now to play uh, Indiana for the first time in 400 plus days. But Which seems like a natural shift to Baz. So the volleyball team's playing. When's the basketball team going to play again? Uh, looks like February 3rd. Uh, just came out that they postponed the, the January 30th game against Penn State, which isn't a huge surprise. Um, they're still on pause right now, and they'll be on pause through Sunday, which that means you would have basically had a week or a little less to ramp, fully ramp up and get ready for a Big Ten game the following Saturday. And Nebraska just wasn't going to be ready. They, they've got too many guys in isolation right now, too many guys that have tested positive, including the head coach, Fred Hoiberg. It, it just wasn't going to work. And the other thing that postponing that game does, it allows the Big Ten to kind of shift some things around and get some other games made. Penn State's got another game on the schedule now against Michigan that they're going to make up, you know, and some other things that kind of got moved around. So, yeah, that, it's looking like February 3rd. That's what Nebraska's statement said today. They anticipate being back to competition February 3rd at Michigan State. And then it starts to get pretty crazy because you have six big 10 games that you need to try and make up or that the big 10 would like you to try and make up basically in four and a half weeks four or four to five weeks uh, between February 3rd and the end of the season. So it's going to be a sprint to the finish and Nebraska is going to be doing it with a team that's, that's coming off a pretty major COVID outbreak within the program among its players and coaches. So it's going to be fascinating to see, I think what the schedule looks like once they get back to playing again, we can look at Penn state and they had four games postponed, I think. And they've basically, they're playing four games in seven days right now. And then they're going to play, I think six games in 14 days just to get back to some sense of normalcy. And I don't know if they'll still be caught after that, but that's basically what it's going to look like for Nebraska. And then you got to throw two more games. So I think you're going to see a lot of shifting of the schedule going forward. You're going to see a lot of games getting added. And it's going to be a deal where Nebraska almost is playing every other day uh, for pretty much four straight weeks, I think, trying to get this thing made up. And if they get there, great. And if not, well, try your best. So we'll see what it looks like. The bottom line is they need to play games. I think we'd all agree with that. They need continuity. They need to be on the court. Derek Walker needs needs court time. We've talked about that before. So they're they're in a they're in a pickle, so to speak. You're 0 and 5 in the league. You're on a 22 game losing streak in the conference, and now you're basically just going to have them coming at your rapid fire after you're coming off a of COVID pause. So, fascinating month, month and a half coming up for Nebraska bat. Excuse me for Nebraska basketball as they kind of get back to it here. I don't want to go, go ahead, ahead Mark. 
No, you go ahead. You go ahead. I, I, it's it's interesting because like I I don't I don't want to make it more dramatic than it is, but I feel like sometimes there's been COVID outbreaks, games got canceled in football and all of that, where it's more it's like almost more of an annoyance than anything. But yeah, just given what what Scott Frost said and and what Bill Moose said on the radio last night, I mean it's pretty scary that that Fred like felt seems like he felt pretty darn sick there for a couple of days, and just given yeah. you know what he's been through health-wise in his life, like, I mean, I guess the first order of business is just, like, make sure that everybody's okay. Yeah, I don't mean for that to sound trite. I mean, that's got, I bet it was a scary deal for him and hopefully he continues to trend in the right direction. Yeah, well, and and Fred is high risk, too. I actually asked a spokesman about that over in you today, and Fred is considered high risk because of his, his heart condition. Now, it's maybe a little different because he does have a pacemaker. So that, yeah, I mean, he's still high risk no matter what, but he's got the pacemaker that will supposedly help with that. But Think about that if you're Fred, you know, you, you've avoided this, you've avoided this, you've avoided this. Now you got it. And now you feel really bad and yeah. you're laid up and you've, you've had some times in, in your life where you've had some pretty scary health issues and some life-threatening health issues. And now you're sitting here laying in a bed going, well, how bad am I going to get? You know, I think it's going to be interesting to hear Fred talk about that. It sounds like we'll hopefully get to talk to him early next week. It'll be interesting to see, to hear what was going through his head as he went through it. If he's willing to divulge that, because you're right. Yeah. It, it sounds trite and we don't mean it that way, but you hope he's okay. And you hope the players are okay. Cause man, that's, that's scary with, with everything that's happened in the last year, basically going back to the big 10 tournament last year with him having the flu and that whole situation. And now he's actually got it, man. It's, and, and him admitting that he had symptoms. I think that tells you maybe how bad it was. And Fred's not the type of guy that's going to be real dramatic about stuff like that. But I think the fact that Fred admitted that he did have symptoms and was starting to feel better, that tells you maybe how bad he was feeling, or at least gives you a hint to how bad he was feeling. And that's to say nothing of, of his players, you know, who knows how they felt, who knows what kind of symptoms they were having. So scary deal for everybody, but certainly a, a very scary deal for Fred as he tried to work through that. So here's a question for you, Baz, as Nebraska tries to reschedule some of these games, are there going to be teams that are already NCAA tournament bound that don't need wins that would just say, we don't, we don't need to play Nebraska. I'm not sure that'll happen. Cause I think that's all that scheduling stuff goes through the big 10, the big 10 kind of sets it all up. And there's a couple of reasons for that one. Then you don't have teams going rogue and just saying, well, we're going to play this team here. Or we're right. not going to play this team here. You know um, you have television partnerships you need to fulfill, you know, you've got to fill those spots. So there's a lot of that. Um, and there's actually a, a, a point man over at the over at the Big Ten office. Kerry Kenny is his name. And he's kind of the guy that's the head of scheduling for all that. And hopefully we'll get to talk to him here in the next few days and kind of kind of see what the secret sauce is behind that. But, you know, I think there's just too much tied up in in TV partnerships and airtime and playing as many games as you can that, you know, if it comes down, if Michigan, say it's Michigan, for example, and they, they don't need Nebraska, well, they may not have a choice. You know, they may have to play them because TV says they have to play them. Well, plus, don't you think it would – now, you guys can bite back on this, but I don't think it would be a good look for a team just to say, we don't need this game, so we're not oh, going to – No, I, I agree with – like, but what's it going to look like if Michigan says, we don't need to play Nebraska? And – It doesn't look good to me. It, it doesn't, but admittedly, there's going to be a lot of people nationally that say, yeah, why do they need to play Nebraska? Nebraska's, you know, whatever and whatever in the Big Ten. It's not going to help. I know. I know. It's and, going to get tricky, especially if it's inconveniences. Michigan is – like, what if they have to play every other night because of that? Or yeah, and that's the thing. 
Yeah, Michigan's going, well, what about our health? What about our guys right. getting worn down? You know, as we get ready for the Big Ten tournament in the NCAA. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. that's the that's the trick of it. And I, I wonder, it'd be interesting with the, the scheduling czar, like how do you – are you attuned to the fact that Michigan – probably doesn't want to play a makeup game with Nebraska, let's say 48 hours before they play Illinois or Iowa with, you know, like maybe a big 10 title on the line uh, yeah. or something like that. I mean, I think that there's it's complicated to try to make those games up. It's one thing to say, like, we don't want to play a makeup. We don't need to play Nebraska. It's another thing to say, like, you're going to make us play a back-to-back when we're trying to win the league. You know, yeah. that would be, that might that's be a good a, point, Parker. That might be a good yeah. point. The but other also, side of that, I mean, it. a lot of these Go players, ahead. a lot of these players are in situations where they play basketball a lot, right? I mean, guys well, play think back AAU. Back games, yeah. yeah, all that. So, what would be interesting would be if, uh, what about this, Baz? Like, what if I don't know how the schedule lines up, but what if, uh, what if Nebraska went somewhere to play in like a, like, hey, you know, Michigan's going to play Iowa. So you're going to play Michigan in Iowa City or something like that. I mean, that probably yeah. won't happen. But you can imagine the creative solutions that are going to have to be considered to try to make up as many games as they're talking about. Well, yeah, and the longer you wait, the tougher it gets, right? Because eventually you just run out of time. Right. Um, and look, there's you could could you cancel the Big Ten tournament and just say we're going to use that week to make up games? Sure, you could. You know, does that really does the Big Ten tournament really matter at the end of the day when you have probably ten teams that are going to get in the NCAA tournament? Probably not. Maybe it improves somebody's seed one spot or something like that, you know? So yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I'll kind of go to the other side of your argument, Parker, if, if Michigan's playing for a conference title, wouldn't they want to play Nebraska, a team that they feel right. like they can beat, you know, even if you are playing Illinois, you know, 48 hours later or whatever it may be. So there's that side of it too. So yeah, it's, it's not a black and white issue. It's not as simple as, you know what, we're not playing Nebraska this week. We're just not going to do it. There's a lot of gray, that goes into this for, for the conference, for Nebraska, for Nebraska's opponents, for, for teams that aren't even playing Nebraska, for teams that don't even have to worry about Nebraska the rest of the way, for their schedules getting juggled around. And we saw that today even. You know, Nebraska postpones its game with Penn State, so Wisconsin and Maryland move their game back to the 27th, you know, from the 30th. So then Wisconsin can play Penn State on the 30th. Now. So, I mean, it, it one game, one team sends out ripples to multiple teams in the conference. And that's what makes it really hard. And with Nebraska having six games to make up, it's if you can, can if Nebraska can get to fifteen or sixteen games, maybe that's maybe that's good enough for the Big Ten. It just depends, I think, on how many they can schedule in, and it depends on how many other teams can stay healthy. You know, what if Nebraska's healthy and Northwestern has to go on pause? You know, and Nebraska's supposed to play Northwestern. So there's a there's a hundred different things that go into this. It's just it's becoming a mess, which I think we kind of thought it maybe could. You know, it wasn't going to be easy to get through all this. So, yeah, it's hard. You know, I I, I tend to look at it. And I think all three of us tend to look at it through the lens of what does it mean for Nebraska? And Nebraska needs games. They need to play and they need to get back on the court. But there's there's ripple effects far beyond what happens in Lincoln. And that's going to be largely the complicating factor in how this schedule gets set up and what it looks like over the next month and a half. All right. What? Well, hey, Bass, you're also writing about baseball. What? I mean, speaking of scheduling. Yeah. So they're going to play all Big Ten schedule, and it's going to be four game series. Yeah. The prevailing thought is it's going to be Big Ten only, conference only, uh, condensed schedule starting in March. Um, March. Because, because you really can't play a lot of Big Ten games in February. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 
I can remember Nebraska got a road trip to Penn, to Michigan State in April, and it was like 27 degrees in April in, in East Lansing. So you, you're not playing Big Ten games in February. You're probably playing four-game series. And there's that's not official yet. You know, I, I, it sounds like that schedule will be, it'll be similar to volleyball or basketball where it gets announced, you know, a couple weeks before they start playing. So we might not even see a schedule until mid-February. Um, the season officially opens February 19th nationwide. And, you know, I'm of the, the thought that this is something that really hurts the conference uh, because you're not playing non-conference games and you're not being, you're not Nebraska, for example, can't go to California and play somebody or go to Texas or go to Florida and play somebody and potentially boost your RPI with a couple wins, whether you're playing, you know, in a tournament or whatever. Now you're in a conference that's okay at baseball, not great, doesn't have a great reputation and you're just playing each other. So what does it look like when you get to the end of the year and teams are getting picked for the NCAA tournament and all the Big Ten has as well? All these teams played each other, but we're really not sure how good they are because they didn't play anybody outside the league. When a, you know an SEC, a Pac-12, a Big 12 is playing non-league games and, and playing games against the other power conferences. So it's another kind of slippery slope for the Big Ten right now. And I think if you if you asked Will Bolt privately what he thought of the whole thing, he'd probably be pretty annoyed by it. You know, that's a that's a guy that I think feels pretty good about his team. Not that they're going to go win 50 games or anything like that. But I think he feels pretty good about where they're at. And now again, you're hamstrung by the conference kind of like with football where you're only playing conference only games. So what does that mean for you going forward? So it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like. Yeah. In the next month or so when that schedule does come out and, and how the big 10 teams are able to navigate that, especially the ones that have a shot at an NCAA tournament. All right, guys, should we break it up? Let's break, Let's, break Let's, break Let's break it up. Let's break it down. Break it up. Break it down. Hank Aaron dies at age 86. What a legend. What a titan. The king. The king. Titan. He was a titan. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Probably one of the three or four best baseball players ever, right? I mean. Yeah. I think so. Objectively, I think most people would probably say that. You know. Willie Mays. Babe Willie, Ruth. Babe Ruth. Willie Mays. Hank Aaron. Gehrig. Would you say Lou Gehrig? Garrick, Stan Musial, you know. <laughs> I meant Ty Cobb. What about Ty Cobb? Ty Cobb. Tyler Cobb. Tyler Cobb. He loved it when you called him Tyler. Spikes up, Tyler. <laughs> Honus <laughs> Wagner. Honus Wagner. <laughs> Darren Erstad. Darren Erstad. <laughs> Christian Yelich. <laughs> for our young Yelich. son. For our young Don't Milwaukee. forget Fernando Tatis Sr. Fernando Tatis Sr. <laughs> well, I think once junior. hit two grand slams in the same inning. He did it. Wasn't that like in the season opener he did that? Like the first game of the year for the Cubs or something like that? Been, I don't remember. It might have been against the Brewers. I'm not sure. Yeah. We're getting off track a little bit. The point is Hank Aaron has, has passed a legend of the game. Yes. And we're sitting here laughing about Fernando Tatis Sr. So we need to grow up, basically, is what needs to happen. Yes, we do. So we've, need, we've, we've needed to do that for some time. Uh, on that note, I think we're all going to – Who's Palmer? Who's 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 Palmer's favorite baseball player? Oh, good question. He, I think he's going to be a Fernando Tatis Jr. guy. I think he's going to like the the bat flipping yeah. and the and the shades and the and the wild hair and all that sort of stuff. So I was telling I was telling Simple earlier today that I saw a podcast. Um, Greg Maddox was on Pardon My Take, and he was talking about how Barry Bonds was the easiest player to pitch to. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, it was super simple because he just threw fastballs away, and if the at bat mattered at all, he walked him." <laughs> oh, there you go. 
Thanks. People Greg. probably did that with Hammer and Hank too. Probably. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 1957 NL MVP, two-time batting champ, which probably people forget the hit for average and a three-time gold glover. Yeah. Did it all. He did it all and he made it look easy. And I think that's why he, he is maybe underrated uh, as weird as that is to say in the, in the annals of baseball histories, because he made it look so easy and he did it while dealing with a lot of just horrible stuff. Um, you know, death threats and racist remarks and things like that, playing it, playing in Atlanta in the time that he did. So yeah, legend of the game gone. We got three legends of the podcast podcast game still we're here. Gone. We're gone. And we're gone now. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in.